Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. Today's going to be a little bit different than uh, the typical episode. Uh, normally, what I do on this channel is to provide arguments and evidences and reasons to believe that Christianity is true, and that's where my heart is. That's what I love to do. That's what I feel like I'm gifted to do. Uh, but today, I feel like it's only fair that I take a moment and present the reasons why I feel the way I do, think the way I do about um, the LGBTQAI plus movement. And I say that because uh, even though this is an apologetics channel broadly, uh, this issue comes up a lot in comments. And it's only fair that not only the people that subscribe to my channel who are Christians, but also the atheists know where I stand on this and why I stand uh, the way I do on this issue. Um, I'm going to describe to you what I think uh, what the people that are in the category that I'm in. Now, I can't describe my position broadly along denominational lines or even just as an evangelical set of uh, positions on this, but I'm going to describe what I think is what a lot of Christians like me hold to that you're going to encounter in daily life. It's not going to be all of them, but it's where I stand. But I'm going to say we because I think there are people who might want to share this video around as a way of saying, yeah, this is where I stand now. So people that view this like I do, uh, I'm going to phrase it that way. And I'm going to begin with an admission. We admit that we don't know what it's like to walk in your shoes, but we don't want to add to your struggle. Now, that's going to seem incredibly two-faced because at the same time, uh, when you get to the end of this video, you're going to understand that I view this, uh, I view homosexual activity as sinful. And so for, th for that reason, this is going to seem two-faced. I am adding to your struggle in a sense, at least that's the way you might see it, because I'm presenting a message that goes counter to your lifestyle and deeply held uh, issues that might be issues of identity and are certainly issues of um, sexual desire and orientation. So I understand that, but let me unpack it a little bit. I don't know what it's like to go through what you're going through because I, um, I've never experienced same-sex attraction. And so uh, to, to experience, uh, fortunately for me, and I'm just trying to speak frankly here, fortunately for me, the desires that I have, the sexual desires that I have, have uh, can be fulfilled or satisfied in a biblical marriage. And um, for someone struggling with same-sex attraction, they can't necessarily have that satisfaction. And so I recognize that what the church asks you to do um, is to perhaps walk away from, perhaps walk away from uh, a type of fulfillment that many of us in the church, most of us in the church, do not have to walk away from. And I understand what a sacrifice that really is. And uh, so I, I want that to be clear. I don't know what you're going through. And it, when people point that out to me, you're absolutely right. But I don't want to add to your struggle. This is not, at the same time that I don't know what you're going through, it's also not theoretical for me. Um, one of my close friends growing up began to experience same-sex attraction. It's one of the reasons that I'm in apologetics today. Because what happened in his life is he began to wrestle with this. He was raised in a Christian household, a conservative Christian school, Christian, I mean, in a place that was very conservative Christian. I mean, uh, where we lived, everything that Lifeway Christian bookstores and Cracker Barrel sells goes through warehouses in that town. So you don't get much more conservative and Christian than where we lived. Uh, but in spite of all of that, he began to experience same-sex attraction. 
and at first began to try and hold that intention with his Christian faith as a biblically uh, informed Christian, and then it began a process. The next thing that happened was he started to think, well, maybe, maybe I can, uh, I can square this with the Bible some way. Uh, maybe the Bible is you can take what works and throw out the rest. And so he went through that for a little while. Then he got to the point where uh, it was kind of like a universalism, as best I could understand it. It was like, well, look, Jesus is my way, but I'm not going to say he's everybody's way, and I don't buy into everything the Bible teaches. But ultimately, he was honest enough with the worldview that he had to say, you know what? Um, I have to make a choice. I can either have this uh, gay lifestyle that I want, or I can have this biblical lifestyle that I also want, but i got to decide which one of these do I want more. And ultimately, he embraced the gay lifestyle and rejected the biblical lifestyle. Uh, that led to a further degradation in his life that landed him at atheism. And because of that, he began to antagonize my faith when we were together. And we were still together quite a bit. Um, I pastored churches and still had him come and stay in my home and spent a lot of time with him. He was a close friend. And yet, uh, he would antagonize my faith, often in a joking way, but... Um, we would we would have back and forths about it. And at that time, what he would say would rattle me. Not rattle me in the sense that I experienced worldview doubt, but rattle me in the sense that I didn't have an answer. I didn't know what to say. I wanted to give an answer that I didn't know how to give. And that began my interest in Christian apologetics, that along with uh, a couple other things, one thing that's specifically meaningful. But um, so that happened, and I watched him go through this. Now, I'm going to say some more about that in just a moment. But what I want to say here is my position and the position of people like me on this is not that we're against homosexuality because it's icky. That's, not, that's, not, that's a caricature. Um, in a lot of ways, and I talked with a fellow Christian apologist YouTuber about this, and he said, I don't know if you want to say this because it could sound like you're maligning God's holiness or something. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it this way because this is the way I mean it. There are a lot of things in the Bible that I uh, disagree with God about. Now, stay with me, Christians, because we're going to come to, I think, a satisfying conclusion here. I disagree with God that David was a man after his own heart when David arranged for a woman's husband to be killed on the front lines of battle and, and committed adultery with her. I, I don't know how that's a man after God's own heart. I disagree with God about that. I disagree with God that Moses didn't get in, to go into the promised land. But you know what? The fact of the matter is he's God and I'm some guy in Indiana and he's right and I'm wrong. That's the thing. Uh, what I mean by all this is, from a human perspective, things aren't always in the nature of reality the way that I would like them to be. But I don't get to choose reality, and ultimately, if I could see from his perspective, I think I would see that he's right, that his way is right. And uh, as we're going to hear in a little while from at least one voice on this video, um, if you don't accept that, the, the, the other ways, the, the ways that are not of God, lead ultimately to death. And so... Um, uh, when it comes to this issue, it would be much easier for me. It would be much easier for uh, the continued influence of evangelical Christianity today if uh, this wasn't the way that it is, if the Bible was silent on this issue, or if the Bible was permissible of this. So from a very practical perspective, I don't want this to be the case. I also don't want it to be the case because it has caused great divisions in families and um, uh, with friendships 
And that that's painful. That's that's it's painful for me and it's painful for you. Um, so I I don't want I don't I, it's not like I'm wanting this to be the case. Uh, I I don't want to add to your struggle. I don't want to add to the struggle of my friends who struggle with this. Uh, but I believe that it's the case. I also want to say very early, people like me who hold the position I hold, we're not saying necessarily you weren't born with a predisposition to same-sex attraction. Uh, some people will say that. I won't say that. And I think it's silly a little bit. I mean, honestly, there are people who are born with um, genetic predispositions toward all kinds of things. Now, what I want to be cautious of here, and it'll be really easy for some of you to, who would like to paint me in a way that's not, that's not uh, as hospitable, uh, I'm not comparing homosexuality to these other sins. That's not the point here. But I do want to be clear that, um, that there are people who are born with proclivities toward anger issues. Uh, there are people who are born with addictions. There are people who are uh, more likely to fall prey to addictions. There are people born with physical abnormalities. There are people that experience all kinds of things because we, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is not ultimately the way it was in the garden or the way it will be one day in heaven. Now, uh, that means that it wouldn't surprise me to find out that some people are born with some kind of a predisposition on this issue. Uh, so I, I don't say that. Now, the question is then, if you're born with a predisposition to a particular thing, does that mean that it's not immoral? Or does that mean that it's righteous? Does it mean it's not sinful? I don't think that we can say that. If someone is born with a predisposition uh, toward alcoholism, we don't say that it's okay for them to become drunk and for them to, um, uh, you know, cause others harm or drunk drive or something. We don't say that if someone is born with a propensity toward anger issues, that it's okay for them to engage in, um, you know, to act out on that anger in ways that hurt others. We don't, we don't say any of those things. And why? Because just because you're born with a predisposition towards something doesn't mean that it's okay. Now, again, I want to remind you, I'm not comparing homosexuality to every other thing that's mentioned here, except in the sense that it's not God's ultimate design. It's not what God ultimately wants for human beings. Um, so our position, I think, still stands, even if that's the case. It doesn't change my Christianity one bit if I find out that some people are born with a genetic predisposition toward uh, same-sex attraction. Uh, it, it does mean that my sympathy for you is, is there. I, I can't imagine what that would be like. Did God know that was going to happen in your case? Yes, and it, because of that, because that's the case, um, my hat's off to you. I think that when people who experience same-sex attraction and are not delivered from the physical attraction itself, we'll get that to that in a minute, um, when that happens and they decide to give that up for the sake of the kingdom to do what God ultimately wants, I think we should champion those people in the church. I think we should uh, praise those people. I think those people are have done something amazing because, as I said a while ago, you're walking away from a sort of fulfillment, sexual fulfillment, that... Uh, the rest of us who are not experiencing that don't have to walk away from in the sense that you do. Um, so, so it doesn't, that, that, that's, I think that's all important to say. I, I would, I would champion those people. I, I praise those people. Uh, thirdly, I'd like to say we arrive at this truth, not because we want it to be true, but because of evidence. Uh, 
So you might say, well, so what? Some 2,000-year-old book says so. 2,000-plus-year-old book, depending on what we're talking about. Well, um, I, here's how I get there. And again, this is not an episode related to apologetics directly, but, but let me just tell you why I get there. I believe that Christianity is the truth about the nature of reality. Um, I believe that there is overwhelming reason to believe that there's a God, and I think that there is a reasonable case for the resurrection, and so I believe that God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead. If God raised Jesus from the dead, then that means that the gospel authors were telling me the truth about the biggest miracle claim in the gospels. If they're telling me the truth about the biggest miracle claim in the gospels, then I, I, I think it's reasonable to conclude that they're telling me the truth about what Jesus generally said and taught. Um, and Jesus affirmed the totality of the Old Testament. And in, in terms of the New Testament, Jesus, um, uh, if the gospel authors are telling me the truth, then the author of the book of Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. I can trust him. He's telling me the truth about uh, Paul, because Paul is the central figure of the second half of the book of Acts. And so we're often running with the relevant texts that are important to this consideration. So I have good reason to believe that this God who exists and raised Jesus from the dead, um, I believe that uh, we have good reason to believe that we can trust what uh, Jesus said and taught and what he affirmed and what those who are giving us the relevant details about what he taught said about the uh, early moments of the church and the teaching of the church on these matters. And so for that reason, I believe based on evidence that this is a serious issue. But let's zoom out of that for just a moment and let's think about it this way. And this is going to be so unpopular, but, but I have to say it. Um, for those of us who recognize what I think is an undeniable fact that there is a teleology at work in the universe, and what I mean by that is that there's clear purpose and design, that there's an intention for things. When I look at my hands, they're so clearly made to grip things. Um, my mouth is so clearly made to eat and to breathe and to talk, and every part of my body is so clearly designed to serve a function, to serve a role, to do something. Um, and so when it comes to sexuality, that could never be more clear than with human sexuality. It's clear what the designer had in mind. And so when we act in opposition to that, when we say, um, because of real desires that I don't deny are there, and that I grant you may have been born with a propensity toward, uh, when we still, in spite of all of that, when we look at what the designer clearly had in mind and we don't do that, that is a strong evidence. Um, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says that the invisible things of God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through what has been made so that they are without excuse. In other words, we can know some things about God and about who he is from looking at the created world around us. In that same chapter, there is discussion of this very issue that this video is about. And so uh, I think when we look at what the, desi the designer had in mind, you never have to have seen a Bible. You never have to have heard the name of Jesus to recognize this much. There is a designer, and the designer had something clearly in mind. And this may seem reductionistic or truncated, but it serves as an evidence uh, for the position. So I arrive at this position through um, lines of evidence, not just because I want it to be true. I mean, listen, that nothing would make what I do easier and because of the position I have and where I have it and what I do, it, I have some flexibility in what I affirm. And nothing would, be, would make me happier than to be able to say, uh, hey, I think that God is fine with this and it's, it's no big deal and 
Uh, it's not going to be a hindrance in your Christian walk and, and all of those things. But I can't say that. And I get there based on evidence. Uh, fourth, we understand that not everyone is delivered from same-sex attraction when they become Christians. Quickly, I want to uh, let you hear from uh, a woman named Jackie Hill Perry, who was a lesbian and has uh, rejected that lifestyle in order to serve the Lord. And here's what she has to say. I choose God because I love God. And that's not to say that there isn't the still present gnawing of my flesh to want what I used to love, which is sin, which is lesbianism, which is women, which is pride. But what the Holy Spirit does when he comes inside of somebody is he completely makes them new. I'm able to look at the tree and see that the tree actually isn't good for food. I think it's a habit of some to to assume that somebody coming to the Lord who is same-sex attracted, that coming to Christ means that your old affections will be done away with, that somehow you will become straight, that somehow you'll just desire marriage overnight and have kids and all of that type of stuff. And a lot of times it's presented like a kind of gospel, as if having heterosexual desires are actually a fruit of the spirit and not self-control. There are many believers who love Jesus, are filled with the Spirit, are bearing the fruits of the Spirit, and are committed to a life of celibacy because they, as far as they know, will never find themselves attracted to the opposite sex. But the thing is, they are just as glorifying to the Father as I might be, being someone who God happened to allow to walk in a heterosexual marriage and have children. But the thing is, my marriage is not evidence of salvation but the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of salvation. Amen. Um, let me give you a biblical uh, reason to think that what she just said is the case. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and this is what he says. Uh, and this, this I want to say this can sound harsh, but I can't apologize for Scripture. Here's what Paul says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Now, however one wishes to understand the sort of overcoming Paul references, that he is referencing and overcoming, which, he, which has taken place in the lives of some Corinthian men, is hard to deny. Attempts by liberal Christian scholars to dilute or alternatively explain Paul's meaning are available, but also assailable. Principally, the case is often made that the Greek word arsenikoitai should be understood to refer to male prostitutes rather than homosexuals in general. Moreover, malakoi, typically translated effeminate, is thought to refer to effeminate boys. This combination, it is therefore argued, refers to pederasty. As David Garland summarizes, the meaning and significance of the words malakoi and arsenikoitai have been examined in recent years by those who would like to water down the condemnation in the New Testament of homoerotic acts. Yet, Paul considers homoeroticism to be a dishonorable passion and a shameful act because it is against nature. Furthermore, Garland rightly notes, had he wished to limit his critique to pederasty, he could have used the term pederast. 
Ben Witherington III demonstrates that even when one grants a certain degree of ambiguity in the text of 1 Corinthians 6-9, the argument would not go through. He reasons, some have urged that only pederasty is condemned in, New, in the New Testament, not homosexuality in general. If this were only the only passage where Paul addresses the issue, one could argue in that way. But Romans 1, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and following clearly shows Paul's view of homosexual relationships in general. The reference there to lesbian relationships shows that Paul's condemnation of same-sex relationships is not limited to pederasty. So now what I want to say about this is, first of all, I wanted to cover some of that because there are some Christians that try to argue that that passage doesn't teach what I think it does teach. But um, what I want to show here is homosexuality is not the only thing listed in this passage. Um, Notice that it says, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor immoral, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. Now, I don't. The point again is not to compare homosexuality with those other sins. That's not the point. But the point that I want to make here is to say: number one, it, it is a sinful activity. The desire itself doesn't mean you're in sin, it, but the activity is sinful. Is what the Bible seems to teach. And uh, notice, though, he says, such were some of you. Now, some have taught that what this means is that God delivers homosexuals from homosexual desire and gives them heterosexual desire. And this, is, this is not what, the, uh, what Jackie here, uh, Jackie Hill Perry, has said. And I don't think that this passage can be understood that way. Because notice here, these other things that are mentioned, like uh, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, are we to understand, because uh, there's, there's, a, compar- there's a, a consistency here, uh, if it's the case that homosexuals are given such a new nature that they no longer have any sexual desire for people of the same sex, then shouldn't it be the case that the greedy never again experience greed, the thieves never again experience thievery, that adulterers never again experience the desire to be with someone other than the person that they're married to? Uh, it would have to follow. Nevertheless, Paul says, such were some of you. And surely people experience some of these sinful desires going forward. It's just that they had put away that lifestyle. And so for the, these reasons, biblically speaking, I think it's entirely possible that someone becomes a Christian, genuinely becomes a Christian, and yet still does experience these same-sex desires. In fact, we have testimony of that. <coughs> and so that's important to remember. Now, do, could God do that? Could God supernaturally transform someone such that they no longer have Uh, homosexual desires and perhaps even have heterosexual desire in a way that they didn't before? Perhaps, I mean, yeah, of course God could do that. And there are people who testify that that's exactly what God's done. What I want to do is present a realistic case here that if that doesn't happen, that, that doesn't mean that a person hasn't genuinely come to Christ. And so, uh, we see here an example of perhaps people who have come to Christ, but maybe still do experience some of those desires, but Paul's able to say about them, such were some of you. And I think we see an example here of that with Jackie Hill Perry, such was she, but she's not anymore. Not that she doesn't occasionally experience sinful temptations, she said that she does, but she has moved on from that. And in her case, has been able to find a fulfilling heterosexual lifestyle. Now, that might not be you. That might not be the people that you work with, the people that you're friends with or family with, but it was the case with her. But I want to say we understand that not everyone is delivered from same-sex attraction when they become Christians. 
Next, I'd like to say we do not or should not treat homosexuality differently from other sins when it comes to salvation and church membership. Now, let me express what I mean by that, because there are probably some Christians uh, that will misunderstand, just as well as there may be some non-Christians who would misunderstand. Uh, it's often said that why does the church draw a line at homosexuality when it comes to becoming uh, in fellowship or becoming a member of the local church? But they yet in the church they have people who are divorced when that's not ultimately God's design, and they have people who um, uh, are liars or gossips. That's certainly true. Um, let me explain that. So when. So if I was, I'm going to speak from the perspective of a Southern Baptist. Churches handle fellowship and membership in various different ways. But I grew up in a Southern Baptist background, um, and so I'm going to describe it that way. So if I'm a pastor of a church, I did pastor too, and I actually experienced all these things um, of people coming forward and wanting church membership. So if someone came forward at the end of the service, as it typically goes in Southern Baptist Church, says, I'd like to become a member of your local fellowship. We would talk with those people, and it, let's just say we had someone who was a person who, who has a problem with gossip. And they say, you know what, um, I have a problem with uh, a, a gossip, but I think God made me that way. I have no intention of repenting of that. I'm going to continue functioning as a—now, this obviously would never happen, but I, I intend to continue uh, functioning as a gossip, and I think that God is fine with that, uh, but I'd like to become a member in the church. I would look at that person and I would say, well, you can't. You can't become a member in our local fellowship because you can't even become a Christian without repentance of your sin. But if the person, on the other hand, came to me and said, "Uh, man, I have a problem with gossip. I know that I have a problem with this. It's a sin. I'm repenting of it. Um, It comes so naturally to me that I may make mistakes going forward. I may mess up. But that's not my intention. My intention is to lay this at the foot of the cross and to serve the Lord the rest of my life. I would say, well, come on into the fellowship, brother. Come into the fellowship, sister. We're all sinners here. Um, see, the repentance is the key. Likewise, if a, a person, a lesbian person or, or a gay man were to come to me and say, I have this issue, but I don't intend to change. I believe that God made me this way and wants me this way, and I, I intend to continue and have a loving monogamous homosexual relationship. I think God's fine with that, and I, I want to become a member in the local church. I would be forced to say to such a person, I can't. I can't embrace you in full fellowship into the local church because you can't even become a Christian without repenting of your sins. And you're telling me now that you're not intending to repent of this. Um, I would say that with with much kindness and love, but I would have to express that. Now, on the other hand, if someone came to me and said, I have same-sex attraction, uh, I, I, I... I don't want to live that lifestyle. I know that acting on those attractions is not what God ultimately has in plan for me. It's not, it's not the design. And so I want to lay that at the foot of the cross. Now, it comes so naturally that I may make mistakes going forward, but I want you to know I, I have no intention of making mistakes going forward. I would say, come on into the fellowship, brother. Come into the fellowship, sister. We're all sinners. And guess what? If, if mistakes happen in the future with the gossip or with the homosexual, we don't kick them out. Because the thing is, it's not about whether you're a person who sins on occasion. The question is, what is your intention? The question is, what do you want to do? What are you trying to do? Have you repented? That's the, that's the goal for what we're doing here. That's what we're trying to do. So um, I want that to be clear that it's, it's not, we don't draw the line at homosexuality. We draw the line at repentance. You can't even get saved if you don't repent of your sins. Um, so that, that's, the, that's, where that, that's where that lies. Uh, there is hope for a fulfilling life in Christ for those struggling with same-sex attraction. 
that is ultimately what I want you to, to take away from this. Paul says here, uh, such were some of you. There is hope. Uh, you can experience peace. You can experience fulfillment. You can experience joy in Christ. And, um, and, and even in light of, perhaps, same-sex attraction. Uh, I want to show you someone here. Uh, this, is, um, this is a man whose name is Beckett Cook. And uh, he began, uh, he, he was a, uh, I think, a set designer in Hollywood. He would go to Fashion Week. He would be at parties at uh, famous people's houses all the time. He's living the life. And uh, this is what he has to say. Something's empty. You, you even said in your book, you felt dead inside. I was at Paris Fashion Week in March of 2009. I used to go to Fashion Weeks in New York and Paris. And I was at this party, an after party. It was very glamorous. Everyone from the fashion world was there. I think Kanye was there. <laughs> and um, I just remember looking out over the sea of people and I had done everything. I'd been to every party, been to every, I traveled the world, been to so many different things, so many dinner parties at like mm. movie stars houses. And, and I, so that night in Paris, I just was looking out over the crowd and I thought, this is not it. This is not the meaning of life. What What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Maybe you had the life every, you thought everybody wanted. But what happened? One day you were having coffee at your favorite coffee spot, and you saw these people with Bibles, which you never had seen in 10 years at this particular spot. What happened? Well, they, I saw, yeah, that was a shock. And I, they, this group of people, we ended up in, my best friend and I ended up in a conversation with them. And they invited me to their church the following Sunday in Hollywood. And I said, well, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And they said, well, we believe it's a sin and blah, blah, blah. And because I had that night in Paris where I felt so empty, yeah. I was just kind of open to that. Absolutely. And they invited me to church. I went the following Sunday. What um, happened when you were sitting there listening to that sermon and then especially after the service was over? So I, yeah, while I was listening to the sermon, Everything the pastor was saying, preaching out of Romans chapter 7, was resonating as truth in my mind and my, my heart. And I didn't know why. I was like, this is true. This is true. I was literally on the edge of my seat the whole sermon for an hour. And then after the sermon, this guy on the side of the church prayed for me. I came back to my seat and I was processing the sermon, the music, the worship music and, and everything. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just like overwhelm me and God was like I'm God Jesus is my son heaven's real hell's real the Bible's true you're now adopted into my kingdom welcome and I was like oh! and I just started bawling and bawling and bawling and it was like the the curtains had just parted and I could see the truth for the first time in my life I knew the meaning of life for the first time in my life and I was like oh my gosh this is amazing what did you do about your homosexuality at that point, though. Well, I knew, I, it's funny, because I knew instantly, I knew in that moment that this was no longer who I was. Mm. Being gay was not who I was, and that that was, it was over. I was done with it. I wish we had more time. The book is amazing. It's called A Change of Affection. It's available wherever books are sold. You need to get a copy of it. Yeah, so you see here, you can find peace and hope. And I think what this guy describes and what I've seen over and over again with people in this uh, situation is they they feel this release they feel this uh, weight has been lifted off of them um, on the other hand I, I can't promise that you won't continue to experience 
those uh, desires. Uh, we have people, believe it or not, in our comments, uh, subscribers on YouTube, who, not because of any of our ministry, so far as I know, but who are in this category, persons who continue to experience same-sex attraction, but who have given it up for the kingdom. Um, and that is an amazing thing. That is an incredible um, sacrifice. Uh, you know, I've, there are some people who say, well, you shouldn't congratulate people for doing what they're supposed to do and what they're called to do. I, I just think that's um, a little bit short-sighted considering what we're talking about here and the gravity of it. I pray daily for the people that I know <clears throat> who struggle with this, that they would find peace in Christ. And uh, I pray that for you. Trust me, I live in the same world you live in. I watch the same movies you watch. I hear the same music. I'm not blind. We are not blind to the cultural suggestion. And frankly, uh, this is probably, I think probably socially, the biggest, one of the biggest hindrances uh, to people accepting the Christian message. Because if not they themselves, someone they know is experiencing same-sex attraction, and what does it mean for them? Um, if, if I embrace Christianity. Uh, we haven't talked about the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the law in the Old Testament. He fulfilled that. He is the perfect sacrifice. And um, because of that, we look to what does God want us to do now under this new covenant? How does he want us to function now? And I think if you do that, what you'll recognize is that um, there is beauty, there is grace in Christ, and uh, there, but there is still this. There is still this recognition of the sinfulness of homosexual activity. But I believe you can find peace. I believe you can find fulfillment ultimately in Christ. And it's my prayer that you would uh, consider that more deeply. Perhaps buy this guy's book, um, A Change of Affection. Perhaps contact me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, you can contact me at braxton at trinityradio.org. So there you go. That's the position that I hold. Uh, I know how this will be received. I know this will not be a popular episode, at least in terms of how it's received by a lot of people, but I wanted to be honest. I wanted to lay it out there for you and let you know that I love you and I'll be praying. Mm-hmm.